see where sure. you are. Uh, do I need to be closer? Right up, no, right up on it, right good right here. here. Yeah, just talk at your normal okay. volume. Yeah, I mean the the funny thing about me is that I'm southern, but I talk real fast. So <laughs> I'm trying. I'm working on slowing it down in public speaking engagements. Um, yeah, working on on that. So you know, it's uh, I grew up. I'm so yeah, super southern too. I grew up. Um, or I, was, I tell everybody, born in Louisiana, grew up in Alabama, and now live in North Carolina. No like, kidding. I, I have like you know just a yeah. string of southern, right? <laughs> um, but I don't have like a crazy southern accent. Sure. Um, did you did you know when the station was ninety six rocket mm-hmm. used to host the morning show mm-hmm. here? So me and my partner Salt were up yes, for the. Yes, I was going to say I knew there was somebody else yeah. with me. I couldn't couldn't pin the name. Uh, we were when we, after we got let go here, we were up for one position. We were both up for the very same job in Boston. Wow. And he got it. And, it, you know, it, it, in hindsight, like, it's good because I have a wife and two kids. Sure. Been, you know, well, living he in Boston leave Raleigh, with a wife on. and two kids is not cheap. <laughs> no. Um, but one of the things they said is, uh, we cannot go with you because while you do not have the thickest southern accent in the world, you would have the thickest southern accent in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, well, that's, I guess I could, I guess I can respect that. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's too funny. Um, mine really comes out more when I drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, a, I don't think I have a real Southern accent and, you know, most people don't really pick up one. They're, they always think I'm from somewhere not here. And I'm like, well, right. what does a Raleigh accent sound right. like, really? <laughs> uh, we're all kind of a, a melting pot at this point. You know what's funny is I had a, uh, a doctor, and by the way, we'll just keep all this in. Yeah. Because I, I like leaving this stuff in okay. the podcast. Um, I had a doctor who was, like, the first couple times I saw her, like, she had a very, um, uh, what's the right way to describe it? Like, maybe bourgeoisie mm-hmm. Southern accent. Like, she sounded very much like uh, one, of the, uh, one of the rich women on yeah. Dallas. Steel Magnolia. Um, but, yeah, Steel Magnolia, <laughs> that was even better. But occasionally, she would say words like, um, couch was a big one. Mm-hmm. And she would say, cooch, or, you know, like, closer to cooch. I just mm-hmm. didn't want to say that <laughs> And, but it's a podcast. It's cool, right? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, but we just met. This is weird. Uh, <laughs> there, there, like, you know, there are times that you would think, well, hang on. Is she Canadian? Has she just been down here a while? <laughs> Apparently, that's the accent of like the Tidewater, Virginia area. Like Norfolk and uh, Virginia Beach and stuff oh, like that. That doesn't count anyways. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I know. They're just an amalgamation of people from all over the place. Really? But that's sort of, um, sort of veering back into food and wine now. That's We have slowly in Raleigh become that. And I think that has made people more adventurous with what type of restaurants they go to. Absolutely. But also more adventurous with what type of restaurants get opened around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so something like food and wine, like it was just a matter of time, right? Yeah. Before this place was ready to support something like that. I mean, I can't believe somebody else didn't do it already. <laughs> right. In all honesty. Um, you know, every great city has one. And a lot of areas are using them to boost tourism. You know, yeah. this food and beverage tourism is, is not a new concept. Yeah. It's a big moneymaker in a lot of areas. Um, this year, by no means, is going to be on the level of, you know, Nashville or L.A. or anything like that. But we would love for it to grow into something like that. Right. Um, you know, right now, it's contained in two special event spaces in a building in downtown Raleigh. But, you know, next year, three years from now, five years from now, if it, you know, contains a whole block and it shut down and there's tents and everything, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, well, but it doesn't it, happen this year when we're bootstrapping it ourselves with yeah. just a handful of sponsors <laughs> either. Well, it's, uh, um, it's, it's interesting, like, that something like this... You are watching or, you know, anybody that comes out and, you know, you who are directing at me who will be uh, the MC there. It's interesting to watch something like this kind of grow in downtown Raleigh because it feels like downtown Raleigh was not happening, not happening, not happening. Mm-hmm. Boom. It's it's happening. Right. Like it's, it's here. Yeah. Um, so some stuff like, 
you know, like you think back to the first food truck rodeo in downtown Raleigh. I mean, the first one out, they had like two and a half hour lines right. at some trucks. And it was almost you never got to see that build. Like there was never that period of time that all of us in the know could right. <laughs> take advantage of being right. in the know. So it's very cool in that way that there is going to be uh, at least one year mm-hmm. where this thing is so contained that you're, it's going to be hard not to get to try everything. Sure. Well, and the thing I like about our format that's kind of different from everything else that's happening in the area is that you really can build your own week. So Thursday, right. Friday, Saturday, all the participants are doing their own things. And, you know, some of them are pricier than others. Some of them are $10 and they're wine tastings with sandwiches at the Raleigh Wine Shop. Mm-hmm. And so you can curate it to kind of your own taste. And, you know, every event as a whole is not going to sell out. And we may not sell out for Sunday. Um but it's kind of this idea of you kind of get to put together your own thing. You don't have to go right. with somebody's preset agenda of, you know, what your Raleigh Food Wine Festival looks like. On Sunday, that's the only thing with an agenda, honestly. And it's still 30-plus vendors that are sampling different types of products. And most people are not going to try everything. I mean, you'd be sure. miserable. Um, <laughs> but again, you, you kind of put together your, your own eclectic taste. If you only want to try the places you've never been to before, that's awesome. Mm. Um, most of our chefs are doing something that's not on their menu anyway. Yeah. Just kind of showcase their creativity. So um, there really is a, you know, like you said, in this first year, you kind of get an insider's look at, you know, the the calm before the storm. Right. You know, probably. Um and you get to do it the way you want to, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. So, um, well, gosh, a couple things we need to get to then. First, uh, who all is involved this year? I know uh, Babylon is, I mean, that's where yes, we're going to be. <laughs> absolutely. Well, and one thing that's really cool about this is that um, in the past year, Babylon has opened a special event space on the third story. So most people in town have never even heard of Babylon heard of Babylon or been to it because it's such a hidden gem downtown. Right. They definitely haven't been to the third story event space either. Um, so it's very cool. It's a historical building. It used to be a knitting mill. Mm-hmm. And so ground floor is the restaurant and bar. Beautiful um, garden patio. It's probably the biggest patio in town. Yeah. Um, they just finished. And probably easily the biggest patio yeah, I've done. It's, yeah. It's got to be. Um, and they've actually just finished an outdoor pizza oven, which mm-hmm. took 18 months to get inspected. Wow. Um, with the county's you know small amount of, of inspectors that are available. <laughs> but we're really excited to roll out some new things like that. And then this third story event space is absolutely beautiful. It's, mm-hmm. um, you know, these hardwood floors, giant windows, um, you know, turnkey space for anybody who wants to do a special event, you know, weddings, corporate lunches, dinners, things like that. Um, so we're putting everybody into those two spaces and we've got about over 30 vendors at this point and probably a few more may trickle in over the next couple yeah. of days as much as it uh, pains me as a planner to try and squeeze <laughs> people in. I certainly don't want to keep anybody out at this point. Um, but we've it would be probably easier to tell you who's not involved yeah. because the list is just so long at this point. Um, but we've got restaurants, we've got um, local food brands, we've got breweries, we've got wine um, stores and retailers and brokers. Um, we've got a um, spirits company coming and sampling three different summer cocktails. Oh, wow, cool. Um, so, yeah, it's really kind of all over the place, honestly. Yeah. Um, there's a food truck I've never had before. There are restaurants from North Raleigh, you know, all around town. So it's really not even just a downtown event. It, mm-hmm. it's, you know, we wanted to have a larger footprint than that. Yeah. Um, At what point does this – and obviously you're one – you know, it's not ready for that, and who knows if it'll be ready in year two, but at what point does it become the triangle food and wine? Um, you know what? I, I'm not sure. That's a great question. It's I think that's one of the things we'll kind of figure out as we go along, yeah. but the triangle for everything that's great about being as close as we are to Durham and Chapel Hill, logistically, that becomes a much, much bigger undertaking. Right. Um, and I don't think it would be a, a part-time thing for any of us at that yeah. point. We'd, we'd be a full-fledged, you know, event with a full-time staff, and, um, you know, I don't know quite yet that's the direction we're going for, you know. Five-year plan. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, never a bad thing to have one, right? Right, absolutely. So what is the logistically then, and and I don't know if infrastructure is the right word, but uh, 
what is the setup for you to be getting hot food from these people? I mean, mm-hmm. is everyone going to be doing the best they can on hot plates or? Yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, the nice thing is that there is a working restaurant kitchen there. Sure. So that helps a lot. So we've got, you know, walk-in cooler. We've mm-hmm. got... Um, kitchen setup, large commercial kitchen that everybody has access to. But then also on the third story event space, um, it is built with actually power access in the floors that all the tables are going to have access oh, to. Cool. So there's going to be people doing, you know, some fresh fried um, items there yeah. too. So you'll be getting it, you know, right as it comes out of the pan versus, you know, something that's been on a warmer plate for two hours. Right. Um, and that's, you know, kind of one of the, the things is that nobody in this business wants to showcase an inferior version of their product. Of so that's also why we're limiting the ticket sales. Um, we didn't want it to be an overwhelming event where there's so many people that our participants are worried about the cost and are having to serve an inferior product just to sample, you know, a high quantity of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so this year our sell-out number is 500. Um, we're about halfway to that today, and we just had a great piece run in the News Observer today. So I think that number will probably get a lot closer to it in the next couple of days. And, you know, with any great event in town, people wait until the last minute to buy their ticket. Yeah. Um, but we are closing the ticket sales Friday night for the Sunday event. Because um, I do need to give them a, a heads up on, you know, how much realistically they need to prepare for on Sunday. Yeah, for sure. So what is the story of the Raleigh Food and Wine? Like how long in the planning stages mm-hmm. was it before it even got to the point that you yeah. ready to start going to vendors? And, and really, wh- where was the genesis of the idea aside from just, we need this. We yeah. need one of these. So it's kind of a mashup, honestly. Um, Samad and I have been working together for several years. And I've kind of been rallying around this idea in my head. I'm of, listening to you, by the way. No, I just no. have to return this real quick. <laughs> That's Okay. <laughs> Um, you know, I've had this kind of idea for years about what do we do to kind of put together this this great opportunity to get everybody together for a sampling event when um, there's already sampling events in the triangle, but they typically tend to be like black tie and fundraiser right. type events and the price point's really, really inaccessible for most people. And I walked into Babylon one day and Samad grabs me and he goes, let's do a food and wine festival and let's make it a week long. And I was like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, totally on board. Not sure a week's going to work right out of the gate. Right. And so um, it kind of, you know, eventually got distilled down to, okay, well, let's do, you know, three days of programming at everybody's place of business and one day of a, you know, get everybody together festival. Um, Samad has a really, really strong experience in, in this kind of stuff. He used to own and opened um, Mosaic Wine Lounge wine lounge downtown mm-hmm. and they started the mosaic uh music festival right so that was you know a week's worth of you know great djs and artists and stuff coming in so he's he's done that before and he's yeah. built a brand out of something and you know his long-term vision for the food and wine festival is that it wouldn't just stop with dinner that you know next year or the year after um people could basically put together a whole night worth of an experience you know they right. could do drinks here dinner there a late night experience you know somewhere else with with dancing and dessert and drinks um, you know, his is that really to carry it through to a, a much bigger experience. Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, not um, when I say interesting, I don't mean unique. I mean, certainly there are a lot of restaurateurs probably around the country that have that kind of festival experience. Absolutely. But, I mean, boy, is it isn't it lucky not just for you as a partner, but for people in the triangle that somebody with that kind of experience uh, just sort of had the motivation to grab who would be his partner and say we're doing this absolutely well and samad's very well read and very very well traveled so he sees a lot of these things and he's got the you know the 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 big big bright idea and wants to put assets behind it to move it forward um and so that's why you know it it takes a couple of people to make something like something forward he's he's kind of the connector he's talking to you know people that he works with in the restaurant industry every day um, he absolutely was the one who got our first round of chefs involved, who got mm-hmm. behind this and signed up for it, because this is absolutely a, a, a snowball effect. You know, right. once you get ten restaurants on board and you get a couple people who are visible in the industry, then everybody else, you know, starts seeing it and adds legitimacy to it, and then they want to get on board. 
Um, and then he also, you know, has the connections to bring on the right kinds of sponsors and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so that, that sort of helps. And then I've got the background in planning and promoting these types of events. So the two of us together just started divvying up the responsibilities and, and went for it. Yeah. Well, and, and the good news too, like as, as, as great as it is that he is well-read and well-traveled, the idea of food and wine festivals is not so foreign to be, I mean, like they're super accessible. Hell, even Disney World has one, you know, yeah. I mean, like it's, it, it's a very mainstream thing that is just a matter of getting the people with the motivation mm -hmm. and the resources mm -hmm. to put those two things together Absolutely. and get one going. Well, not everybody's organi organized enough to do this yeah. either. Um, especially, I think, in the hospitality industry, you find a lot of um, operators and, and employees who are just getting to the next the next big Friday night or yeah. next big holiday. And um, it's tough for people to really plan very far ahead, especially if you're a small operation, mm -hmm. like a small mom and pop, and you know, you're know you doing great just to keep the doors open every day right. and keep new people coming in. Um, and it almost takes a third party to say, hey, we're going to put this together and we're going to do all the legwork. We just need you guys to, to yeah. put your seal of approval on it. Yeah, but I mean, but that's a good point, right? Like if you are in the first year, two, three of your business, mm -hmm. you know, you're in that phase of willing to and expecting to absorb loss you're going to do that in your restaurant, right? And sure. You're not, you're not going to do that putting legwork together to, sure, you have a presence, but also you're exposing people to 2930 competitors. Right. So to have someone else do that, I mean, that is that is probably the only reason yeah. that some of these uh, smaller, younger restaurants are able to be a part of this. Absolutely. And we wanted to make sure that it was a fair process for everybody. Um, so we had people who wanted to participate and couldn't commit to our Sunday event. Right. Um, you know, they wanted to do things Thursday, Friday, Saturday with the drive traffic into their businesses, but couldn't commit to this larger overall event that everybody benefits from. And we had to decline their participation. And, it, yeah. you know, it's for multiple reasons. It's financial or already overbooked or just done too many events this year. And that's totally fine. Um, but we want to make sure that, you know, everybody who's contributing on Sunday gets benefit throughout the week and that it goes both ways. Of course. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. There is uh, a an element of unfairness, I don't know if that's even a word, to the people that are going to be there Sunday and are putting sure. themselves on the line the rest of the week. Well, and that, that's the big visibility item for us. That's sure. the way that we, you know, we sell tickets and yeah, we get the true. email it's, addresses. It's not a successful festival if, you know, only half of your participants are showing up for the main event. Absolutely. And and for us, it's about building long-term brand and being able to, you know, acquire information about people that lets us remarket to them. And, and we need everybody to kind of contribute to that effort. But at, in the long run, it's going to benefit everybody because we're going to continue to promote them yeah. throughout as well. So with your background in promotions and marketing mm -hmm. and stuff like that, is there um, is there like a specialty, a, spe a, a speciality for you in the hospitality industry? Or is it just this was you have the background, uh, you have someone that wants to make this happen, and it's just sort of the perfect marriage um well you know to be completely fair i'm absolutely trying to brand myself as specializing in retail and hospitality businesses sure um but i've worked with clients all over the spectrum yeah. um i've just you know in the last five to ten years it, this idea of experiential marketing has really come to be a thing um and general consumer has probably never heard the term experiential marketing but people who are in the marketing industry it, it's the new wave um it's no longer enough just to kind of put a sponsor logo on a sign <laughs> right. and feel like, you know, it's really connecting with consumers. It's about, you know, putting people in front of the brand to experience it, to engage with it. And, you know, on Sunday, these chefs and operators are going to have the opportunity to talk right there to people who are enjoying their product right. and invite them to come in. Right. Well, um, it, it's that difference between creating a customer and someone that feels like they have something at stake absolutely. in your business. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, there are plenty of people you know, whether it's on Glenwood or Fayetteville that, you know, I feel like because I love the place so much, it's 
it's my duty to make sure other people try it. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. we're creating brand advocates is what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's people who will tell their friends about the business without being incentivized to do so. Right. <laughs> so are you a Triangle native? I am born and raised in Rollywood, and wow. we um we're a rarity these days. Yeah, honestly, no I, I meet a lot of people when they say, "Oh, well, you know, where are you from?" And I say, "Raleigh." And they, well, no, but where's home? Raleigh. Literally, my yeah. mom and dad live in the same house that I grew up in. <laughs> right. So what? So first of all, you got to watch the city kind of grow into absolutely. This. When I was in high school, there was so much less going on here, yeah. and even so much less high schools. Um, and now it's this just you know huge thriving place. And right. I you know there's not really any place I would consider living other than this. You know. Unless just a, some sort of incredible offer came down the pipeline. But, you know, this is home. And that's kind of one of my favorite things about travel is that I get to go places and experience the world. And it's a really great opportunity. But then I'm excited that I get to come home to Raleigh and, yeah. you know, get to go back to my favorite restaurants and sleep in my own bed and, right. and see my friends and <laughs> have Sunday dinner with my mom and dad. Yeah. I mean, not only the not only the fact that it's your home, there is now I mean, obviously, like you said, there weren't even a ton of high schools here when you were growing up. I came here 10 years ago, mm -hmm. and even at that point, um, I like that every time a phone buzzes, both of us <laughs> look to make sure it's not ours. Um, but even, you know, at that point, Raleigh was not quite Raleigh. Yeah. Right. And Durham sure as hell was not quite Durham. Right. Um, so it, sort of tell me, like, when when do you sort of look back and go, oh, that's the moment things started to turn around? You know, um, I think it's been gradual. It. It's easy to feel like it just happened overnight because, yeah. you know, time's been kind of flying by for all of us. Um, but I graduated from NC State in 2007. Um, a lot of my sorority sisters uh, who have moved away from the area get back to Raleigh pretty regularly. And just about every time they're here, they always ask me to take them to new places that have opened. Right. So I feel like the, the you know, the catalyst might have been around that time mm -hmm. because when I was, you know, 21, 22 years old, a senior, we were going out a couple nights a week. Um, we had a kind of our, our typical, you know, run of show, like run of right. schedule. We had, you know, five or six places that everybody would be at one of those. And now there's tons of options. Right. I mean, you start with dinner and then you go out for drinks or you're shopping on Saturday. And there's just so, so much more now than there was when, you know, we were a little bit younger, two years before that. So yeah. I think that 2007 time period might have been when... We really hit that tipping point. Yeah. So the the um, you know if you think back to that period of time, especially being in NC State, you were probably spending a decent amount of time on Hillsborough Street. Yeah. Like now. Well, I mean, yes and no. I, you know, there's still there weren't that many attractive things for well, twenty two year olds that's, there. That's you know, the there point was, I was East Village make. and PR and. Yeah, I mean that's that's the point I was gonna make. It's not just different places; it's different kinds of places. Absolutely. Now, and you know, I went to the University of Alabama, and we had our own version of you know Hillsborough Street that was not nearly that big that you know has changed a little bit but not in the way that benefits the students the locals you know it's, right. it's the it benefits the real estate people right there are tons of game day condos yeah there and hillsborough street and really excuse me most of the whole swath of downtown raleigh whether mm -hmm. you're talking about fayetteville or glenwood avenue um has done a really good job of growing and changing with us in mind absolutely you know and, and that's um for somebody like you that markets those kind of businesses, that's, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I hate to say it so crassly, but you just have to see dollar, you must see dollar signs every time. Well, yes and no, actually, it's, you know, anybody will tell you who who's ever worked in this industry, it, it's a tough one to make money in because it, it's a little bit fickle, too. Sure. Um, you know, I remember right after graduating, I helped open a um, volume bar downtown, mm -hmm. and within two years, it what was no, bar? Uh, high volume bar, lots oh, okay. of people, large yeah, yeah. capacity, thousands and thousands of dollars each night. Um 
you know, I, I was hired because I was the local girl who knew the market and mm-hmm. I knew it better than anybody else and I could fill that place up. Um, but, you know, within two years, it's it's no longer the new bar in town that everybody goes to right. Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. And those, those, cha- those tastes change and um, the concepts have to evolve with it. Yeah. And so not just talking about the bar industry, but, you know, food as well. Um, you know, I think 10 years ago we, we had accessible dining and then we had special occasion or high-end dining and there sure. wasn't a lot in between. And now we have a lot more diversity of price points too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yes and no. Lots of opportunity with new business coming in. Um, but also new businesses are the ones who, you know, tend to be cash-dropped and, and don't spend a lot of money on marketing. Right. So it's a little bit of a catch-22. Yeah. You, you can spend the money and get the word out there or you cannot and just hope it grows organically and, and hope for a, yeah. Yeah. A win. Well, so talking when you talking about how fickle the market can be, um, it's it's uh, what's the right way to say it? I guess it's odd to to me, and I'm not going to name names and say, mm-hmm. oh, well, this restaurant sucks or that restaurant mm-hmm. sucks. It surprises me the amount of people that go here for barbecue or here for Italian or here for Mexican because that's where my dad went. Mm-hmm. And you know, like there's one particularly popular restaurant here. That, you know, I've been to twice and both times I walk out and think, fucking sucks. Why yeah. do people go there? Uh, and, and it's a restaurant held in very high regard. Right. And all I can come up with is, well, it's been around forever. Yeah. Um, so there is, uh, you know, there's always that strive not only for the restaurateur to be uh, successful, to keep yeah. the restaurant around for that long. But if you can get into that, like, second generation here. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, I'm saying here, it's not like it's any different where I grew up. Right. But if you can get into that second generation, you're pretty set for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Well, then at that point, you've probably built enough brand equity that people are going to come to you just because they've heard of you. Right. Or because you're making all these lists that are not very well researched or they're not written by local people. <laughs> yeah. And they just happen to go to the 10 you know, most searched places on Google. Um, you know, I think one of the reasons that people do this generational thing is because food connects all of us and well, of it's definitely a, a it's a you know family driven thing you know i think if you think more often than not what are the big dates for restaurants and and for special occasions um you know mother's day father's day mm-hmm. anniversaries you know all of those things center around the family now of course there's there's birthdays and you know all that kind of stuff that that fills in in between yeah um but you know family connects all of us and and food is almost for most of us i think a regular part of that experience like i said every sunday i'm home for dinner with my mom and dad yeah um, because it's it's our one chance of the week to you know get together talk about what's going on um and reconnect and if you've got those restaurants people have been going to with their families they they're going to just keep doing it because it reminds them of you know things they've enjoyed there or it's, it's become a habit yeah but you know you mentioned a great point in that it's very very hard for operators to deliver absolutely consistent quality mm-hmm. to every single experience right i mean i've worked with really great concepts that you know, have a hundred great reviews and then one or two will pop up because somebody had a really, really bad experience. They didn't get a great server or their meal came out, you know, not prepared the way they wanted. And, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to have a hundred percent, you know, accuracy and, and quality experience every time. And, and, you know, as much as I'm saying, I don't understand why these places Mm -hmm. survive on bad food. It is, it actually is a tribute to them that they have found a way to survive as the type of market Raleigh is has changed. Because, you know, for instance, like like I said earlier, I've lived here for 10 years. I'm sorry, you're wrong about barbecue. What you eat is not barbecue. <laughs> it's, right. it's garbage. <laughs> uh, but, you know, places like uh, The Pit and Cooper's and, and you know, place like that, places like that, you know, they're, they're bringing in people that are from places, you know, like me, like Alabama, where yeah. we're used to Tennessee barbecue. You know, mm-hmm. we're used to Memphis-style barbecue. And, 
Um, they have, you know, I mean, obviously, like the pit's a good example, right? Their menu is not just barbecue. There's all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff on there. But they've done a really good job of finding ways to connect with people that walk in and say, oh, you don't do this right. Or this is not only right. is this not what I'm used to. This is just this is an abomination compared yeah. to what I'm used to. <laughs> well, and. You know, there's more and more places that are trying to offer something for everybody at the table. A really right. great example of that is I've been a vegetarian for seven years now. Mm. Now, I told you I'm born and raised in Raleigh. So, you know, I grew up on pink hot dogs and right. East North Carolina <laughs> barbecue and all of that. Um, so the restaurants I'm going to, you know, have, have changed a little bit. But the ones that we're going, you know, back to on a regular basis are the ones that have something from our carnivore boyfriend mm-hmm. who he really wants a pork chop or really right. wants a steak that night. And I need something other than, you know, a salad yeah. because not everybody's garden salad is that great <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, you know, a, a very uninspired tofu dish. So yeah. there, there's a lot more diversity in restaurants now and there's a lot more diversity on menus. Right. Well, and, you know, when you think about the diversity of what uh, the options are, you know, there's some really like weird and interesting concepts. Like it's almost amazing to me that a market the size of Raleigh mm-hmm. and I mean, you know, my reference point is, is radio. Right. Um, you know, we are just barely outside the top 40 largest mm-hmm. radio markets. So to me, that's not exactly large. Right. But, you know, to, so to think a place like that, and I realize its roots were in, Char- in uh, Charlotte, but to think like a place like Cowfish can come here and succeed, yeah. that, that's a really weird concept. Yeah. But again, it goes back to it, it's offering something for everybody. Yeah. It, it's satisfying a lot of taste at once. and. I mean, you look five years ago, we didn't have this cold pressed juice thing that's happening in Raleigh. And <laughs> right. now you've got several startup companies that are, are doing a great job. I mean, I've got bottles of Humdinger juice in my fridge. And when I'm out, Happy and Hale is on my way to my office and I'm right. stopping in there grabbing juice. Who would have thought that there are businesses that could thrive just serving juice? Yeah. And they are. Yeah. And, and see, that's, that's the other thing. And this is very much, um, this is not just a Raleigh thing. This is a South thing. And it's probably all over, but the yeah. South is my frame of reference. The number of places that have found a way not just to survive, but to thrive doing one thing, mm-hmm. right? Like you think about um, Calavella, who, uh, you know, Ken was the, the first guest yeah. on the show. And Pinatas. That's all they do, you know? Yeah. And, and even down to um, fast food places that only do chicken fingers, like mm-hmm. the roast grill only does hot dogs. Yeah. Uh, and they found a way like, you know, yeah, you're, you're limiting your clientele, but they're pretty loyal, mm-hmm. you know? If you do the only thing you do really well, yeah. it's going to be hard to keep people Absolutely. away. Absolutely. Well, and it, it's down to perception, too. I mean, if you think about it, not everybody likes their hot dogs the way the roast grill serves Exactly. Them. Yeah. There, there's enough people that do, and there's enough people that, you know, appreciate the value in that tradition that right. I think, you know, as long as they're willing to be there, they'll, they'll still be in business. Right. Um, and there's I, always, I don't know. They still t- I still don't even think they take credit cards. but <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be people that just want the novelty of taking their picture under the hot wiener stuff, yeah. too. Hey. At some point, they'll come in for a it, hot dog. It, it was made for Instagram. Yeah, know? absolutely it was. <laughs> and I'm not even sure they're on Instagram yet, but you know, I, I don't think they need to be. But because yeah. people will be doing that you know, for them on their own without yeah. being you know, nurtured to do it in one shape or form. Do, is that something that you run into with, uh, whether it's clients or prospective clients, mm-hmm. is that... Whether it's they don't get or they like that's what they demand without sort of recognizing that they're like to become sort of the uh, I don't know if viral sensation is the mm-hmm. right word for a restaurant, but to become like a landmark kind of place. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's a lot of right time, right place combined with the right menu combined with, you know, marketing yourself. Right. It there. is. It, it, it's not just, you know, you have a fun sign. So now you become. Exactly. Well, a lot of people try and I want to say like they artificially try and create these things. Of course. A lot of these things just happen 
because people latched onto it, you know, no, right. no specific rhyme or reason. And most, I would say nine times out of 10, they weren't actually curated or created. It, it happened spontaneously. Yeah, I mean, it's like working in the media. I can't tell you how many times bosses have told me to, well, why don't you make a viral video? So, I, oh, <laughs> if so, that is the first question out of somebody's mouth is I need you to create something to go viral. Well, one, I take a step back and I say, well, let me explain to you what going viral means. (laughs) Because I think there's a misunderstanding. And I want you to understand that anything we try and create that will go viral most likely will not. Right. Um, You know, all of the great viral sensations of our time, you know, were probably mediocre at best and just happened to catch on. The idea that you can create it, unless you're Jimmy Fallon and have a built-in baked audience of millions – that's not a realistic expectation, especially not for a local right. business. We can have all of the adorable kittens and guys getting kicked in the nuts you can imagine. Absolutely. And it doesn't guarantee anything. Right. Well, and you can get all the media exposure in the world. Yeah. And it's still, you know, if consumers don't latch on for whatever reason, it's, it's you know, exposure. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Yeah. How hard is that, uh, getting the media to latch on to um, a, a, like, newsworthy kind of thing a restaurant client is doing or just a restaurant opening? Because... You know, just being in the media, mm-hmm. it's really hard to walk that line of, you know, this is a new place that's opening up and mm-hmm. is going to change sort of the scene downtown. But at the same time, you don't want to buy in and just be giving these people sure. free advertising. Um, I would say it always depends on what's going on. Yeah. I mean, if we think about traditional media, those editors are getting pitched by hundreds, maybe thousands yeah. of perspective stories a day, depending on, you know, what their beat is and what their how big their outlet is. Um, if you're talking about, you know, sort of the, these new media people, these bloggers and these, these Twitter accounts and social media users who only cover specific niches, it's a little bit easier to get, you know, some visibility there. And it's because most of them are are not, you know, faced with the same kind of pressures. Right. Um, in a corporate structure where, you know, you've got bosses and revenue and everything like that, it's much, much different. You have to be much, um, more critical of what you can and can't, you know, write about just because of time. You know, yeah. not everybody can just fill up their budget with, you know, freelance contributors and write and write and write. <laughs> right. Um, so it's it's definitely tough. Um, I think if you've got a good product and it's timely and there's some sort of relevance that helps editors do their job, then it's obviously easier to to get mm. some visibility then. Um, and in this market, people are really, really excited about new things that open up. Um, I've never had any trouble getting any kind of me- media visibility for clients that are new to the market. But mm-hmm. when they're doing something like a fundraiser or a new menu is out, that's much tougher because yeah. that's not clearly as newsworthy. Yeah. Um, and like I said, this market is really hot on what's new, who's going into old spaces, you know, who's kind of doing that because mm-hmm. that that's the story that people can tell. Right. And that's you know the news that people are looking for. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's tough. It's definitely, you know, by no means um, easy work. Um, but like I said, this market is really ripe with lots of kind of niche new media publications that are thirsty for that information. Yeah. And, and they're they're good partners. So you mentioned uh, earlier that you had a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. How much since you started this, uh, since you started like in earnest putting food and wine together, how much have you seen him? Ah, <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because one of the things that makes uh, our relationship so successful is that we have a lot of the same constraints in our jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, his hours are very, very non-traditional. He is um, actually, he works for North American Spirits and Wine okay. um, and represents liquor companies yeah, yeah. Um, throughout the state of North Carolina. So right now he, um, last night he was working in Charlotte. He came back today, but I think he's in meetings until late tonight. Yeah. I won't see him tomorrow. We'll, <laughs> we'll see each other again on Thursday, I think. Yeah. 
Um, but, but it definitely helps that even though you're not in the same business, there's a lot of crossover. There, there's a ton of overlap and understanding of, you know, just the, the constraints on both of our you know, yeah. professional lives or personal lives. Um, but it also totally works for us because when we've got a weekend or, you know, a couple of days that are low key, like we're going to chill and we're going to chill hard <laughs> because we both worked really, really hard to get to that point. Right. But um, neither one of us ever, you know, is critical of each other's you know, how much we're putting into work because, um, you know, sometimes you need the yin to the yang, but sometimes two really, really hardworking people also work great together because they're, you know, so considerate of how much time the other person's investing right. in their own career. And, um, you know, I certainly wouldn't have got the, the motivation and support to, to do this kind of work full time without him, you know, being on board. Yeah. Um, and it certainly helps to be, um, you know, a self-employed entrepreneur to have somebody who's got a, uh, you know, more steady income and, and things well, that, sure. you know, ma- make the, the, the drastic leap a little, a little safer. Yeah. That's why I married a doctor. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> really, Always it, in demand. It really cuts down on stress. <laughs> Absolutely. It not only cuts down on stress, it increases the things you can say to your bosses when you're pretty sure they're wrong. Yeah. And you're right. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. So before, uh, before we wrap up, sort of mm-hmm. give me the rundown again. And I know, like you said, there, there are a lot of people involved, so you can't, Rundown individual restaurants. Yeah. But sort of give me the the week's rundown for people that want to okay. take full advantage of food and wine. Yep. So Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, um, all of our participants are doing unique things at their places of business. So we've got um, a bitters class with um, crude bitters and sodas. Um, there's a macaron making class with Lucette Grace. Um, Samad at Babylon is doing a Moroccan dinner to mm-hmm. kind of understand some of the influences. Um, that inspire Moroccan dishes, Moroccan cuisine, right. Moroccan cooking. Um, he's actually hosting that himself to really talk to people about, you know, his culture. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's really all over the place. Midtown Grill is doing a great um, prefix dinner, three nights. Um, the full the full rundown is on the website under our events tab. And then on Sunday... And it's RaleighFoodAndWine.com. RaleighFoodAndWine.com. Um, and then on Sunday, everybody's getting together, doing a really great half-day experience. Um, the ticket gets you in, gets you all the samples. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what's nice. You're not going to shell out more money once you're there yeah. unless you just want to go to the bar and, and post up and get full-size drinks, which is great. We encourage it. <laughs> um, but everybody's there. And, you know, there's a ton of diversity in what's there on Sunday. Um, you know, we've got um, – I think we've got some Indian-inspired tacos. Um, we've got wine guys who are there. Um Lucette Grace has created a special dessert that they've never offered before just for this. Oh, very cool. Um, we're doing signature cocktails for our VIP ticket holders. Um, the North Carolina Specialty Foods Association is coming and representing several products, um, including a pimento cheese that's local. Oh, wow. Um, so there's just a really, really great lineup. Yeah. Um, and that is all on our homepage. So you can go to RaleighFoodWine.com and see all of our participating brands right there. Check out their website, see what they're doing. Oh, um, there, we've got an olive oil group coming, and they're also oh, doing cool. Greek wines. So, like I said, it's, it's literally all over the place. Yeah. Um, but a tremendous amount of opportunity to check out businesses that you might not have ever heard of and then to try new things from some Raleigh mainstays, which is really exciting well, too. Well, you mentioned two things that will get me anywhere, and that is pimento cheese. Well, I, I guess two things in that because pimento cheese, but also I love like local stuff you're just not going to get anywhere else. Absolutely. And anytime someone does a weird taco, I'm down. Awesome. 100% down. <laughs> well, when the, the taco cart gets on the road, I'll be sure to, to hit you up when we have lunch together. Yeah, sounds great. Lisa Jeffries, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.